Anyway, well, we'll just go ahead and get on with it then. Uh, we're coming into Acts chapter 23, and uh, we've been studying together for quite a length of time, I do believe, and uh, we uh, are aware of what's going on. Paul has been on, uh, I guess you could say, trial. This is like the second phase of his trial, and uh, we know he's been captured, and he's now a prisoner. And we might as well face it, he's a prisoner until he dies. From here on out, that's what he's going to be. He's a prisoner. At least that's what we're given biblically. Uh, So he's kind of in a new dimension. This is a different kind of ministry, but it's not that his ministry is diminished because God keeps him ministering. He keeps preaching the gospel in a a different way. And uh, I think as we look at that, I think what we really see is a... uh, a God totally in control. That's what I really like to think about this uh, all the way through here. And you know, I'm going to take this back just a little bit. And uh, the trash can and put my chair there. I'm not a fan of fans. No. Nice little uh, coffee cafe setting we have here. Always thought about it. You know, if we ever need to, we can always do that. Yeah, it works. Thank you guys for coming out. Uh, I think definitely Paul has a knowledge of what's going on. He knows that uh, his life could be at the end or getting very close. Uh, that has to be a little bit hard on him, but yet I think as we think scripturally, we know he wrote, uh, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And he really knew that this ministry really wasn't uh, about him anyway. It's all about Christ. And uh, so if God wants him to go to Rome, he'll go to Rome. And no matter how that be. And I think he wanted to confirm the Christians there too. I think that's one of the biggest things. He wants to, to see them and uh, kind of edify the church, bring some growth there, as it says in Romans. But uh, So I, I think all the way uh, he is conscious of uh, the needs that other people have. He knows about that. And he's also conscious of the fact that uh, he's probably going to die pretty soon. Uh, but God will take it out for a little while. Ago. So I, I would say it's a tremendous trial. I'd say a tremendous pain that he's having to deal with. And all at the same time, we see a God who is very, very comforting. And we see scriptures about that, uh, reminding Paul of uh, who God is and what he's going to do. So that, that's what we want to think about as we go through um, the rest of Acts, or any, <laughs> I guess any place in the Bible, how God is controlling things and he is a God of comfort. And that makes you think of all the religions of the world. They actually fear God. Um, you can think of the Muslims. They have a fear of God, but it's an unhealthy fear. And if they do anything wrong, if they violate something, uh, if they do not appease their God, then God's going to come down and He's going to just wipe them off the face of the earth. Give them some kind of pestilence or death or whatever. And, and so they, uh, those religions will teach a fear, but not uh, the true kind of fear. And so I think we're comforted in this God and what He will do and uh, face the circumstances. So what's happening is the um, the Roman 
uh, officials, especially the head man, is trying to figure out what in the world is going on here. What, what's happening here in Jerusalem? He's been arrested. Can't really get the straight story of why he's being arrested and why all the turmoil and the fuss. So he wants to get down to the very bottom. What, what, what's going on? What's happening? And so that's where we're at in, uh, in Acts 23 as we left off in the, the end of chapter 22 last time. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for You are a great God. You are holy indeed. We look at Your Word. We come in realizing that uh, we are always hungry for Your truth, Your wisdom. And uh, just help us be able to focus on You a little bit more as we have another week to be able to study this um, great history of the church. And really behind all of it is You. Thank you, Lord, for who you are, and uh, give us this precious wisdom from you. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll turn right to chapter 23, Acts. Not for sure. How, to, how far to, to read this? We might um, might take it up to um, let's take it up through five. Anyway, right now we'll see how far we get there tonight. Paul, looking intently at the council, said, "Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day." The high priest Ananias commanded those standing beside him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you sit to try me according to the law and in violation of the law order me to be struck? But the bystanders said, Do you revile God's high priest? Paul said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. We'll see what we uh, what we can do with that. Paul uh, has a good conscience. That's what we're starting here with on this this first section. He has good conscience. Matter of fact, he's really courageous. I think he's bold. I think he's confrontational in uh, what he's doing. He's going to stand nose to nose, eye to eye, with these uh, these leaders, with the Sanhedrin, with the Supreme Court of the land. Eyeball to eyeball, and he's going to dominate them in what he has with this truth. And you know what? He has a kind of courage that can change things. Courage with the Word of God. And so he does. Uh, What we notice here, um, if we were to back up in in a verse, uh, 30 of chapter 2, but on the next day, wishing to know for certain why he had been accused by the Jews, he released him and ordered the chief priest and all the council to assemble and brought Paul down and set him before them. That probably um, sets us up for chapter 23 here. Probably could have been verse 1 if you wanted to divide it up that way. But that's what's happening. Uh, the commander is saying, hey, I want to find out really what's going on here. What, what's this mess? What's this confusion? And I don't really get it with what this, uh, this Paul guy is about. And Paul... Um, starts looking intently at the council. 
at Spring Court. And I think we have to think about what he's doing here. That that word um, for looking intently, the word there is adonixo, and it means to stare at. Intently. <laughs> have you ever had anybody really look at you and you don't know what to say? <laughs> yeah. What? Oh, that, that's a good one. Right there is a good illustration. Because <laughs> that's what he's putting on. And, and, and he has every right to. Because uh, they're, they're not getting it. And uh, so here it is. He's, he's has his gaze fixed on them. And uh, that ought to shake them <laughs> in their boots. Uh, he has a real conscious integrity about him. And we know that he's very courageous. He knows he's innocent. And he knows that God is with him on this. He has no doubt whatsoever. And that's where we're getting at as we get into the, the conscience here. But he knows he's innocent, so he stares at them. I wonder how long he stared at them before he said something. doing it, I'll ask a question. Do you think this is the Sanhedrin Pharisees in there too. Do you think he knew some of them? Yeah, that's another thing. Yeah, I, I think I definitely think there's a good chance that he knows some of them, maybe many of them, uh, at least some of them, because if you're in here, some of those guys could have been students of Gamaliel at the same time that Paul was a student there. Paul had been a Pharisee. There's Pharisees in this council. And so, that you know, it's like there's a camaraderie between, you know, students. You think of seminary students and such. And they have this special little bond that they have, whether one's a little bit older or younger, or you know, they definitely know about him. He probably knows uh, many of them personally. Uh, who knows? Maybe some of these guys could have been his buddies. And you start putting that into place, and you're thinking, wow, you know, he, he knew some of them, and now you know he's putting that stare on as he's kind of getting ready to, to say something. And uh, so there's many of them that definitely know who he is. Um, and of course, they knew that he had been the arch persecutor of the church. Uh, I mean, this guy was on their side at one time. So, the, you know, he worked in association with the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin uh, are the, is the group of people who gave him the, the rights, the papers, to go out and do what he did. He just didn't do things on his own, but it was underneath the Sanhedrin. And there he is being uh, imprisoned by them, accused... But there's really no accusations. There's really nothing that they really have on him, and he knows it. You know, when, and when you know you're innocent, uh, of course you draw upon your conscience and such. Even though they think he's a traitor, 
you know, they think he's an apostate. You know, if you look at what they're thinking, I think this guy's really turned against him. They think he's a blasphemer. So they're really taking this serious. So he just stares him right in the eye. You know, he's not going to let them um, scare him. So, you know, the Sanhedrin is composed of a high priest. Then you have um, members of the high priest's family. And then you have elders, uh, tribal elders or family elders, the heads of tribes, families. You have the Pharisees. You have Sadducees. You have scribes. These are the elite leaders and make the judgments in the land. And there you are. And he is bold. I've lived in all good conscience before God until this day. I stand here not guilty. You know, all through my life, he says, until now, I've done what my conscience told me. That's kind of interesting. Um, because he says all through my life. That's true with preaching the Word of God. Right, you know you've you've been fair to the word. And that, that's well, I was listening to Sproul, I was listening to MacArthur on this, and they were uh, in, in a good agreement. It's, first of all, we know it starts with a Christian, and that, that's where his conscience. But he even says here, all through my life, and this is where we'll get into the conscience. Uh, brethren, I've lived my life, and it even goes back. Of course, we, at, we as Christians, and we preach the word, there is no reason not to have a good conscience about it if we are preaching this. But before he was a Christian, he actually thought he had a good conscience. And that's where it really gets tricky. You can think you have a good conscience doing everything. He thought he did everything for God, didn't he? He thought he, he was a Jew of Jews, a Benjamite, a Pharisee of Pharisees, everything. You know, as Philippians what, chapter chapter, two, chapter 3, right? Uh, chapter 3, right? And, and so... His conscience, even then, he you know was good. Although now we're going to try to explain that. That's why we're moving on that. But what he's saying, hey, you can't really be judging Paul here because this is what's happening. I'm just doing what God has told me to do, or at least before what I thought God told me to do. Now he's saying, you know, I'm doing what God tells me to do. But they're not really judging Paul. Who are they really judging when he says, my conscience? Judging God. Exactly. So, you know, previously, you know, God God stopped me on the way to Damascus. You know, he's kind of told him about that before. And God, uh, you know, spoke to me. God spoke to me in a trance and told me to minister to the Gentiles. And we know that makes them angry. But that's only because that's what the Word of God says anyway. Exactly. Exactly. So it's, you know, he didn't go against any, any of the Scripture there at all when he says the Gentiles. So I, I have to think of um, Martin Luther 
when he was going up against the delegation. And they were all against him. There he is. And he has to stand before them. And he says this great quote, Unless I'm convinced by sacred Scripture or by evidence of reason, I cannot recant. And here's the line that he says, For my conscience is held captive by the Word of God. My conscience is held captive by the Word of God. So, And he said also, to go against the conscience is neither right nor safe. So, you know, it was his conscience. Luther knew that he, what he had done was right. Because the conscience there. So he had no guilt. Now, Paul also says something that seems contradictory. Where he says in one place, I am the chief of sinners. But here he says, I have a good conscience. Of course, you know, and of course he's talking about, you know, how, you know, what he had done in, in his past life. But as far as the, the conscience is concerned, we have a couple of different things happening. And he did threaten, he did slaughter the, the Christians. What he thought he was doing at the time was the right thing. And he had a conscientiousness towards God. The thing is, the conscience is not always the key to truth. It's a good thing. It's a gift from God, and we'll talk about that. But we're going to first look at the, the, the conscience where actually people can have seemingly a good conscience and be absolutely dead wrong. I think a lot of people in, in the false religions actually think they are right. They think they're leading people in into what their truth is. Some people play games with their conscience. Um, we know the conscience does never save us. The conscience cannot save one. It's a good thing. Uh, and definitely it has to do with right and wrong. But, you know, let's say a, a guy believes his right in what he believes in. And today in our society... And you were talking about today. You were talking about people you talk with. And, hey, you believe what you want to believe, and that's good. And I'll believe what I want to believe, and that's good too. We're all good here. And the thing is, that's the dumbest thing that one can ever say. Although it sounds pretty good to a finite mind. I'm wondering about this in relationship to those people who have trained their conscience as far as religion. But God said that there's a law in the hearts that they know what is right and they know what is wrong. No matter how they have trained their conscience, they know what is wrong to steal, they know what is wrong to lie, they know what is wrong to murder, so they have the law that's written upon their hearts. So, would you say that the law transcends the conscience in this area? Yeah, well, the, the um, that's what God gave to them. To, but the thing is, they they yeah they can they can judge between what is right and what that was a. I think you can think of in Genesis, He created men, women, everybody to what to be in the image of Him. And we know that got affected by sin. Um, in Romans two, it's saying there it is. Even the people that don't have the law still have that 
they, they, you know, so they're held responsible. And that answers a lot of questions for the people who say, well, those really good people, you know, and maybe they didn't get a chance to hear the gospel. But the, there's an excuse for what they do, and no matter what they say, it's their time. Now there's a law written on your heart. You know what is right. So it's on the heart. So ultimately, that is even more accountable. So that would be what you're asking. The law is written on their heart. God gives them that. You have Chicken Little. You remember Chicken Little? That story? The sky is falling. The sky is falling. He actually believed that. Now today people say, well, you have a belief. That's good. I'm glad you... Um, just believe in something, right? Just believe in something. But the thing is, is that it's great, it's wonderful what somebody believes, but the thing is, it may not be right. <laughs> it may not be right. And it wasn't. The sky wasn't falling, was it? He believed it, but it wasn't. So having a good conscience toward God... We know it's not going to save anybody, but we do know that truth is involved in with that. I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And this is Paul himself. For I am conscious of nothing against myself. I'm not so sure. You know, if there's something about me that, that where I'm wrong, I, I'm not aware of. Yet, I am not by this acquitted. Uh, but the one who examines me is the Lord. I can't even judge myself. As far as I know, I'm not in anything that would be wrong or doing something sinful or, or making me guilty. But God is the ultimate judge. So there he sounds like he's saying something different. But, uh, of course, you know, as far as he knew, everything was okay. And, and that's dealing with his, uh, his conscience of, uh, in that sense. And you have, you have the conscience involved. Um, he that judges me is the Lord only. So there's a bad conscience that can play tricks on people. And then we'll get to the fact of what what is the, the conscience and what, is, what does it uh, do. But the bad conscience can people can have and to get around what the truth is. And to have that good conscience, it's always involving truth. It has to be involving truth. Well, yeah. My Basically, I'm innocent. That's what makes us 
Yeah, they, all this pressure that they put on him, I'm sure that they would love for him to recant. So anything he says begins with like this, he's probably just going to well, that's, that's always a story. And of course, he's going to bring that out. Testimony. Yeah. Remember that? Right. This this whole thing is um so they've all heard this And uh your verse twenty one yeah. of twenty two and he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles and then you'll notice the next verse. They listened up to this statement. And they raised the that's when they want to kill him. Yeah. Okay. And that's where the Romans then have to step in. Okay. And that's where his Roman citizenship comes in to play. And the commander is a Roman citizen, but he had to buy himself into Roman citizenship. Where Paul was a natural Roman, and they can't, they can't beat him. They, they, can't, they have to have a fair trial. So he's still trying to get a handle on him. What's going on with this? Why is this causing this? He's a Jew. You know, he's believing what they believe in. And uh, so that has something, I think, to do with it. And now it's just going to get more intense as we have the second part of this, yeah. this trial. Yeah, it is a home jury. Yeah. So well, doesn't it? <laughs> so a conscience actually can get messed up, and it, and it is it, everything. When whenever the fall happens to man, his his mind, you know, his thinking, 
got messed up. Uh, just everything. It affected nature. It affected uh, the relationship with God. We know that. So a conscience, it can be weak. First um, Corinthians 8 speaks of a weak conscience. And uh, at, let's pick it up at verse 10. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he's weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose sake Christ died. So there's one guy who's kind of weak in the faith and he sees one... Uh, what dining in an idol's temple, even though that food is is it's just food. But in another sense, it's another thing too, you know. So I have to be careful. But this weak brother, it, it can ruin him. And so it says, verse twelve. And so by sinning against the brother, taking advantage of a weaker brother, you know, he's expanded his liberties a little bit farther than it should have gone. And he says, and wounding their conscience when it is weak. You actually sin against Christ when that happens. So if somebody sees you doing that, even though that meat in itself, there's nothing wrong in it, but yet if somebody sees you at that idol's temple, there's what it is. So what kind of a conscience do we call that? Weak. A weak conscience. Sure. A weak conscience. Exactly. Neither here nor there, yeah. but it, it on appearance sakes or whatever, or whatever that may be. So yeah, that's what are quite a few different. Balance. It's always a balancing act. Even when you're, you know, can have a perfect conscience. Necessarily be a weaker one, but one, but that's that's I think that's the illustration. Yeah, and of course Romans fourteen uh, mentions that a lot, and that's what's happening here. Right, being sensitive, respecting. So that's a, there's a weak conscience. Uh, next one's a defiled conscience. That's uh, one in Titus. So the, the the conscience can go wrong, even though it's something that uh, God uh, definitely has given us. It's a good thing, but like anything else, is what can happen. In one fifteen of Titus, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. A defiled conscience—that's to uh, an unbeliever. 
defilement is uh, nothing good about that anyway. But uh, that's, I would say, that's despicable things that man does. Then there's a. Yeah, go ahead. Unbelief, though, right? Unbelief, that's what it says there. Yeah, believing. Uh, uh, unbelieving. So there's a conscience. So that shows you unbelievers can have consciences, but of course they can really distort it. And it, it can lead to an evil conscience, which is found in Hebrews 10.22. Quite a bit in the Bible about the conscience. Well, it should be. Should I think it kept us from going just nuts and crazy before we became believers. <laughs> the conscience. Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean with evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. When we are believers, we have an evil conscience. Uh, we want to be made pure. Coming to the cross and holding fast to that confession of faith. Let's draw near with a sincere heart. Poneros. Poneros is always equated with unbelievers. Uh, and then it, it leads to this, which, which is the uh, downfall of it all. This is where it all goes to 1 Timothy 4 2. And of course, this is uh, the seared conscience. The more one indulges in sin, evil, defiled uh, ways, it finally goes to the point of a, a seared conscience. By means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience, as with a branding iron. Uh, let's see, we've had people in here who've had surgeries. Anybody have uh, anything left over after that surgery? What is that called? Scar tissue, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you corrected on that one. <laughs> hey, <you> Extra force. <laughs> Anything left over? I'm glad you corrected me on that one. Uh, on that scar tissue, when you when you when you kind of touch it, do you feel much anything at all there? Not pretty numb. Just pretty numb. Do you have any scar tissue apart where it's numb? You can't really feel anything. And that that that's the exact meaning of that seared conscience there. That's what happens with the conscience. It has that over there that no longer does it bother. There's no shame. That you know, all that they knew that was right and wrong at one time, now it's all out the window. It doesn't mean anything. And it doesn't bother them at all. And desensitized. Exactly. That, how else could anybody ever buy that idea? I can't imagine a whole nation coming in with that belief. But they did, didn't they? They supported it. Well, many of them did. Stuff that would never have been mentioned 20 years ago, 10 years ago. Five years ago, even. I mean, we're 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 amazed. I doesn't matter what topic you're dealing with. It seems like um, that if, if it's ungodly. It's like they just talk about it right 
without anybody batting an eye. So that's that's where the conscience finally goes to. Um, the conscience, we finally get to uh, a definition of it. Soon a day say, soon, 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 S-U-N in the Greek actually means t- together with. Uh, a day say is dealing with uh, being able to, to see or actually uh, a knowledge, or to know. When, you know, hey, I really see what's happening. I know what's happening there, right? To know with. And the very definition of that I find very fascinating, and I, and I went through uh, some Greek uh, dictionaries, and uh, I thought it was really good. I thought it probably meant that, and I've heard it before, and I've kind of thought on this before, but I want to get a little facts on it. So we're talking about with, right? Together with. To know, together with. Joining, it's like joining moral and spiritual consciousness. Right and wrong are dealing with morals. But the morals by themselves still fall short. But if you have a spiritual thinking, right thinking, and, and who the Lord is, He's the one who gave us that conscience in the first place to be made in the image of God, to know what's right and wrong. And so it's a joining together with the moral and the spiritual consciousness. And that's what God originally gave to Adam and Eve. They had that together. So, but it, you know, it's, it's conscience is that what makes a, a moral judgment on our actions, whatever an action that we've taken. And so it, it makes a judgment on that. It's, uh, it's that faculty. It makes a moral judgment on what we do. So it's, it's a good thing, isn't it? Can you imagine if we didn't have a conscience? Before we were believers, we would have destroyed ourselves. Was that the Hebrews? Uh, Hebrews. Right. Got the Hebrews ten twenty two. Exactly. why we would be called to draw near to Him. Uh, you have a conscience that needs to be sprinkled um, the say, uh, sprinkled clean. Yes. Washed. Like our bodies are washed, then our conscience has to be cleansed too. So now our conscience won't be defiled or be evil or eventually seared. Because once it's cleansed, now we have something new to work with. Even though we had a 
a conscience that was still working order, we could take that conscience and make it kind of bend it, couldn't we? So that by itself, the conscience cannot, uh, well, save us or make us good, but it, it can definitely watch our actions. Um, Romans 2, 15. And uh, actually, I think this is where you were at while we go there, Luke. Yeah, um, just take, I'm just now getting there, aren't I? in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts ultimately accusing or else defending them. And then it straightens it out. On the day when according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. But there's the conscience that bears witness and their thoughts can either accuse them or defend them. Done anything else? (laughs) 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 Right. corrected much better than what it was before even though he, what he thought was doing right so he has a good conscience 1 Timothy 1 19 keeping faith he's telling Timothy you know, he's giving one of those commands you know, keeping faith and a good conscience which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith Faith had been shipwrecked, blown blown away there, and he says, You keep the faith, you keep a good conscience. Always keep that there. Otherwise you're gonna have a shipwreck. Don't want that. Good good conscience. And so that's that's a good thing to say. You can have a good conscience. Should have it. Um, Acts twenty four, which is the very next chapter of Acts after Acts twenty three. We're in twenty three, right? <laughs> 
Although we've been kind of going around all over different places. Anybody have that one there? I'm still turning. Act 24 to uh, 16. I like that. That's what we want, a blameless conscience. Somebody can't put a finger on us. And they can't do it with Paul. They have to make up stuff. They couldn't do it with Jesus. They had to make up stuff. It wasn't true. That's why Paul knew that in he knew that he was innocent. And so we always want that. We want a blameless conscience. Something they they really can't get us on. They can make up things, but they really can't truthfully do it. First Timothy three nine talks about a pure conscience. So a good conscience. Um a conscience that doesn't offend God, a pure conscience. And then you go to Romans 9, verse 1. And get into uh, something that kind of, kind of sums all this up. This is how your conscience works. Wow! Is that normal? <laughs> Was that... <I'm laughs> Was that ice or what? Oh, that's it. Okay. All right. Okay. In that play, I always kind of wanted to do this. But that, you know, on that play where that that guy playing the Russian, you know, he hit that real hard. I'm man, it's just banging all over the place. And I do that, and you can't even hear it. Banging on it, yeah. (laughs) Rasputin wasn't preaching the gospel. Is that 119? I don't have a Greek New Testament, but... Um, Bob probably will tell us here. In faith, would be different than in regards to their faith. Because in regards to their faith, it's their personal faith. Yeah. And when he says he's in the faith, at least what he's talking about is Yeah, I wish I... Yeah, I was looking at MacArthur's note here, and he says, this, and this is kind of like what you just said. There. The first is subjective, keeping faith. 
uh, and means continuing to believe the truth. The second is objective, referring to the content of the Christian gospel. Okay. All right. And it's probably that same word, but this time it's the, the, the doctrine, uh, all the, the truths of the embodiment. Right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah I think you're right on. Uh, I'm just probably going to cut it off here on the uh, after we do this Romans 9 1, because here is the believer's conscience. And I think this really is where our conscience is good. I'm telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. So when the conscience is with the Holy Spirit, and I think that's really what the conscience is about ultimately, there is where you have what is the moral aspect with the spiritual aspect of uh, of who God is, is the Holy Spirit in you. And so when the when the conscience is together with the Holy Spirit, then you know you're right. When it agrees with the Word of God, the Holy Spirit is leading with that, and um, that's how you get away from a guilt complex. And I think your psychologists today try to get around the guilt and they try to show you that there's no wrongs, no rights. Uh, whatever you feel uh, you, you do. and um, that they tr- Because they, everybody has a guilt thing and people want to get rid of that. So they seek help, but they're never told that, hey, this is sin that has to be dealt with. Here's the real issue to get down to the root of it all. But anybody can be told just to feel better. They can give them some kind of a pill that is not going to do anything. But when you when you look at this, this is how one gets rid of the guilt complex. And it's going to come down to if somebody has sin, it needs to be dealt with. The Holy Spirit needs to come in and convict. And, uh, you know... Uh, somebody who continually violates the impulse of a conscience, then they realize that the conscience is saying, hey, you're doing things all the time that are wrong and they don't like that. And so the conscience really makes negative moral judgments on actions. Of course, eventually, people get so used to that that it becomes seared. But uh, this this is what people are doing. Whether they try to erase it, whatever they want to do, they're piling up the guilt. And of course, I can think of Romans 2 where evidence against man is being piled up, right? But um, the, the guilt just keeps building up. And they suppress it. They suppress what's really happening to them. And so when somebody gives them truth of the Word of God, um, they look elsewhere people don't sense any guilt, uh, then what they've done is they've gotten to a part where uh, either God's Spirit is taking care of that and we're confessing sin, or people are just um, kind of pushing it aside, getting rid of it. My acts are valuable to God and what I do. Um, I think that's important. That the, the, I think the conscience is a great tool. Condemnation is false. 
Therefore, there is now no condemnation. He has the conscience. He has the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in and convicts, and the Word of God is doing its work on us. That's right. So you know, it actually it, the conscience makes judgments on us, <laughs> and the Christian though can be one who rejoices because of the testimony of our conscience and uh, of course the Holy Spirit. So if we're sinning. The conscience helps tells us what this is, and that's a good thing. It may feel uncomfortable at the time, but at the same time, we're glad of that. It's saying, "Hey, you're, you know, you, you sinned," but um, we're not defiled. We're not um, under condemnation. That's the beauty of it. It's. Uh, I, I think when we were kids, we can remember the things when we did things that we went against the parents or some authority and we felt guilty. We might not have felt guilty until we were caught. <laughs> but even at that, we might have felt guilty even before we were caught because we know we did something and we know we were told not to do that. Um, but, you know... Yeah. Just get it over with, right? I don't want this hanging for the rest of two weeks or whatever. about it. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's like, uh, well, I've heard of kids saying, that's it? That's all you're going to do? But yeah, there's of course there's been books about you know pain is a gift. Well, here's 
Guilt is a gift. Right. <laughs> right. So, uh, to sum all this up, I guess we just stayed on one topic tonight, the conscience. I didn't really intend to do that. I thought I'd, I'd move on, but uh, I'm glad that's that's the way that works out. We didn't rush on. I think it's a good topic. Uh, it really is. For Paul to stand there in front of the Supreme Court and say, I have lived in good conscience before God until this day, uh, you know, he can rejoice when he says that. Because he knew he wasn't... Even, now, he could have been felt feeling guilty after he said that if he didn't... You know, can you imagine that? You know, how can you say, hey, I'm innocent, and at the same time, you know, man, I'm lying here. It's, I'm not innocent at all. I'm going to say it. But he absolutely knew it. And I, he, he can rejoice with that. He was happy in that. And knowing that God was in fully control, and knowing that this whole ordeal, even if... Well, we see as the second comes on, it's going to get worse. And of course, they're going to have to usher him out of town to save his life. And of course, it's going to take somebody warning the Roman official because the plot now is to kill him now. <laughs> they tried to do it before, but now, but he's saying I'm innocent. So that's what starts all this up uh, as um, he defends himself again. But God is defending him, isn't he? And, and and the key thing is, and then we'll leave on this note, the, the key thing in, in Acts chapter 23, moving way further ahead, it's in the same chapter, it's on verse 11. But on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at His side and said, take courage. I think He's been taking courage. He's already, God has already told Him and... and but he needs to be reminded, doesn't he? We need to be reminded. Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, because you've witnessed about my cause, I don't think Paul has made a mistake at all by doing what he's done. Because you've done this, so you must witness at Rome also. He's going to get out of Jerusalem. And that's what God tells him. And you see that next sense where this plot is and they're going to kill him. They're taking a solemn oath. Man is going to do the best thing, best that he can do to kill Paul. Not when God has another way and another will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he does, doesn't he? You got your Trinity glasses on. <laughs> you're well, seeing that's what you're seeing. You're you're seeing yeah. God do this. And uh, you know, I mean I I always keep coming back to that one verse in scripture in Second Corinthians about uh, you know, we are a fragrance to God, those who are being saved mm-hmm. and we are 
Absolutely. Oh. That's something that we all can take home out of the deal. Yeah. And 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 so if if we are living by His truth and we're we're designed to please Him, believe me, you're on the right track. Stay on that path. Stay true to it. God will make things come through the way that uh, way that He desires. That's all we want. So be encouraged. And I like that when God says, "Take courage." Be encouraged too. Well, listen. Thank you guys for coming out tonight.